mindfulness mode. And the hardest conversation to have is sometimes, where am I at right now? Hey, Mindful Tribe, we are here with an attorney today, but she's also a speaker. She's a success architect, which we're going to talk about. She's an NLP trainer, and she's just an all-around fascinating person. She's a fellow podcaster, and her podcast is called More Than Corporate. So check out that podcast. I'm here with Amber Furman. Amber, are you in mindfulness mode today? Always, always in mindfulness mode. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, amazing to be here. Well, it's my pleasure, Amber. I'm really excited to talk to you. But talk first about uh, what does mindfulness mean to you? For me, the key to mindfulness is intention. And that really runs through everything that I think is important in the decisions that we make. Um, Like so many high-functioning entrepreneurs, business owners, workers, whoever you you are, um, sometimes I feel like we get in this rat race of just doing things and wearing ourselves out. And so for me, mindfulness is slowing down enough to be able to answer the questions of what is the purpose of the actions that you're about to take so that you know that it's actually supporting your goals. What is the purpose of the actions you are about to take? That is really powerful because so many of us are on autopilot, aren't we, Amber? And, and you know, we just mo- keep moving forward or we keep moving anyway, whether it's forward or not. And we're not really thinking about that answer to that question. So I really like that. Now, one of the things that I mentioned right off the top was that you consider yourself a success architect, So what does that mean? Tell us about it. (laughs) Yeah, the success architect is a journey for sure. Um, It leads, it starts at the, what I consider my rock bottom. And Mm. a lot of people would think my rock bottom was when my dad passed away when I was 18. I was too broken to be at rock bottom, if that makes any sense. Um, Rock bottom was actually 15 years later for me in 2016, when the life that I had built for myself to take away the pain of losing my dad, didn't take away the pain of losing my dad. I felt like for those 15 years of working for, for the law degree and the six figure income and the high profile career that once I had that, I wouldn't have to deal with all of this pain anymore. And we all know that's just not the way life works. So in 2016, I started really suffering with panic and anxiety and struggling because I didn't know how the world worked because I had been operating under this idea that everything was going to just magically be better. So I'm sitting in my therapist's office about six months into treatment. And I tell her, you know, all I've ever wanted to be my entire life is successful. And I feel like such a failure. She says, Amber, you have a six-figure income. You are the first person in your family to go to college. You have a law degree. You're respected in your field. You support yourself. What does success mean to you? And I said, I don't know. I'm 34 and nobody's ever asked me that question before. And over the next three or four years, I really tried to answer it. 
And I learned so much about myself. And when I did, when I got to the other side of that journey, I realized that this is really a question that people don't ask themselves enough. They decide what they're going to do. They decide what they want their life to look like based upon a false representation of what they think they're going to obtain as a result of those accomplishments. And never once do they step back to say, what does success mean to me? Not to society, not to my parents, not to my family, not to my significant other. What do I want out of my life? And so I work with corporate individuals, professional service providers, people who have built a life for themselves, stay-at-home moms, people who have built a life for themselves, and now they're challenging their own identity because whatever they thought that life was supposed to be like, it isn't that way. And we really dig back down to that question of what does success mean to you? And then everything that we build after that in their life and their business is dedicated to serving the answer to that question of what does success mean? And so that's a success architect, designing the life they want, surrounding them with the tools and resources that they need to build it, and then um, helping them step out of their comfort zone so that they can actually achieve it. So Amber, I'm really curious, if someone starts to work with you, what are some of the first steps you take with them? Yeah, so the first things that I do, and this comes back from my NLP training, and for those who aren't familiar, that stands for Neuro Linguistics Programming, and it's a fantastic science about the way that our past experiences dictate the way that we see the world and the success that we're capable of achieving. So with that um, experience, I dig into how they see the world. What they think is not as important to me as how they think. Because as soon as I know how they think, then we can start to reprogram all the things that are holding them back. So through that, the questions that I'm asking them tells me how they think. But at the same time, it's giving them permission to step into this place of change because I feel like that's one of the biggest struggles. When I decided that I was going to pursue a coaching career and do a podcast and step away from practicing law, which I still practice law, just I do both. Um, when I started to have those conversations, the people around me, completely misunderstood. I heard things from, this sounds like a horrible idea. How could you walk away from such an amazing career? Why would you throw away so much of your time that you've put into building this life? And then it makes you step back and say, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I not happy? Everybody else thinks that my life is perfect. So why do I keep finding problems with it? So the first thing that I do is help people step into that place of change and give themselves permission to explore other options to find out what it is. And sometimes it's not leaving at all. Sometimes it's changing the way you practice law or practice medicine or live in your corporate career. Sometimes it's setting boundaries. Sometimes it's um, making your family a priority and making your job a job, but keeping that job. Sometimes it's saying, you know what, this isn't for me. Let's go do something else. There's no right answer for anybody. So I need to know how they think. Successdevelopmentsolutions.com. That is the name of your website. So that's where we can learn more about you. I'm really fascinated at what I've learned about you because I was listening to your podcast, which is called More Than Corporate. What are some of your favorite kind of guests you get on mm. your show? I love 
people that have this surprising story that you would never expect. People who are able to talk about real things, because I think here's what happens. And I know this because this was my journey, right? Um, you go to events, you see these amazing, fantastic speakers speaking from stage, or you listen to podcasts that have these high profile guests and you think, that's great, but I'm never going to have a million dollars. That's great, but I didn't lose my ability to walk and have to teach myself how to do it again. So what do I have to offer? Right. Because there's all these people out here who are talking about overcoming these horrific traumas and near death experiences. And while that's fantastic, sometimes that person who had a perfect life and from the outside, it looked amazing and they built a good career for themselves. And then they had to figure out what was missing is more valuable because you can relate to it. So I love interviewing the people that I can pull out this story that they don't even know is in there that is so much more powerful to the normal productivity of a human being than the huge inspirational stories that choke us up and make us feel great inside for a short period of time. And then we go back to our life where we can't relate to that person. Yeah. I, I hear you. I really resonate with what you're saying. I want to ask you about meditation. Is meditation part of your life, Amber? <laughs> it is. I have had a long love-hate relationship with meditation. Um, if you have not been able to find out from this episode already, I am a type A take charge, move forward type of person. And it is really hard to get those people to slow down enough to meditate. So when I started, I was like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? You know, what, what I could be doing so many other things. And so what I actually during COVID is when really meditation became a huge part of what I do. And my meditation looks different than anybody else's. And I think it should, right? It should be so personal. Yes, um, it should. I realized that without even thinking about it, so I thought it was going to be an amazing idea to get an eight-week-old puppy the first week of COVID, which it was, except now I, I live in Vegas, it was July. So in order for me to get this eight-week-old puppy that has an immense amount of energy, any exercise, and do it in less than 110-degree weather, I've got to go to the park at 4 o'clock in the morning. And so I started getting up super early, started going to the park with um, this new puppy that I had gotten. And I realized that I was sitting watching the sunrise at the dog park. And that eventually it was like my mind was opened to all of these lessons. I'm actually working on um, a few different things, a book, a workbook, and some, some products that are coming from my lessons that I learned at the dog park after the sun rose, after wow. my mind was opened up and I was in this place of peacefulness and gratitude. It didn't look like sitting in silence. It didn't look like crossing my legs and mm um, which I think is what people think. I've got to sit there. I've got to not move. And for me, meditation is a mindset, not mm -hmm. a physical action of stillness. And meditation experts might disagree with me, but that's how I get a type A high functioning person that doesn't like to slow down to meditate. 
So I'd like to know a little bit more about this. You're at the dog park. You've got this very high energy little puppy. Are you walking, running around? Are you sitting there? What are you doing? Um, It would vary. So also during um, COVID, I started reading The Miracle Morning. Um, by Hal Elrod, which is a fantastic book for anybody who wants to take charge of their mornings. And so he talks about this um, formula of what you should have in a morning routine. And I am a multitasker. So I was trying to figure out how many of them I could fit in one activity. And so I would listen to an audio book while I was walking around the dog park in the morning, which got my exercise in and my reading in. And then there was the silence element. And as the sun would rise, I would turn off everything and I would either keep walking or sometimes I would just close my eyes and I would let my face feel the sun as it started to rise. Um, Sometimes I would sit down. There were times that I took that I felt like journaling there. So I would go find a corner of the dog park and I would sit down with my tablet and I would write and then I would go back to the people that I loved and had become friends with at the dog park when I was done. So it really varied, but the things that were constant in it were an incredible sense of gratitude, a sense of peacefulness and this absolute amazement of the beauty of the world as you watch the sunrise. Wow. What's your dog's name? Jasmine. 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 And I had, I had just, I was shocked to get her because I had just lost my German shepherd that oh. I had all the way through. I, I, I apparently like to get dogs at inopportune times because I got Bailey, my former German shepherd, my first semester of law school. Um, wow. So as if law school wasn't hard enough, now do it with a puppy. Um, But that dog was with me through law school and bar prep and changes in life and moving across the country. And I lost her in June. And then I never thought I'd want another dog. And then I saw Jasmine about a month later and she's been with me ever since. And what has she taught you about mindfulness? Oh my gosh. So I did a dog or I did a post from the dog park one day um, called um, do whatever gives you wiggle butts. And that's really what it comes down to is like, when I take my dog to the dog park, she acts like she has never been there before. When I take my dog to the dog park, she acts like every person that she sees, it's she hasn't seen them for months at a time. And if we all approached every interaction that we have with the joyfulness and the excitement that a dog does, it would be such an amazing place to be. They are completely present in exactly what they're doing all the time. The person that they're giving attention to that has 100% of their focus, the excitement to be in a new place or a place that's not even new, but they're going to be excited to be there. Um, I just think that that was one of the biggest lessons for me is to be present and to be completely excited about everything that you do. And I think that this is where things get twisted a little bit because I do believe you should be excited about everything you do. I don't think you should necessarily like it. I don't think that it means that everything you do is something that you're um, super passionate about doing. You should know, though, that 
there's a purpose for that action, which is going to get you to something that you're super passionate about. And that should excite you. If you're having to drag yourself through your day and drag yourself through your activities, to me, there's something wrong. I would agree completely with that. And I, I love the fact that you have so much to say about what you've learned from Jasmine about mindfulness. <laughs> oh, she's taught me so much, man. Because before that, like I didn't, this, I, I've learned so much. And this was one of the hardest things because I have always been super active. And my mom would be like, Ember, you have got to slow down. I would be dancing four or five nights a week. I would go out to sports games. It was like, I was rarely home. And my mom would be like, you've got to, you've got to slow down. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then COVID happened and I was forced to slow down. And what I learned about myself was that the reason I was so busy is because I didn't like what I was going to find if I slowed down. Mm. I didn't want to have to be with myself because I didn't like myself. And I had gone through so much personal development work up to that point, And I thought that I had liked myself, but what I had done was just stop hating myself and started to just be complacent. And then when I would slow down, it was all of a sudden like, oh, I was with me. And I had to face the imposter syndrome and the insecurities and the questions about whether I was good enough. And all of the things that being busy keeps us from acknowledging. That's where my true growth came from. Wow. Amber, do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Mm. I don't know. Yes, I do. And it's actually fairly recent. Um, and this is one of the lessons that Amber learned from the dog park, to be honest with you. Um, I have one of the most powerful things that I ever learned when I started getting my certifications in NLP and this allowed me to repair my relationship with family that was broken is this idea that statements that are made are never about you. They're always about them. That's easier to say than it is to feel. But once you truly understand the way that the human brain works and once you truly understand that when people say things that are hurtful to you, that um, sometimes they come from a place of fear usually they come from a place of fear. Sometimes they come from a place of love. And um, I'm actually going to go back further because this is bringing up a different story. My mom, and we have an amazing relationship now, and she has listened to my podcast and we have these conversations. So I'm not saying anything I wouldn't say to her. Um, when I decided I was going to go to law school, her response to me was, I think you should pick a less ambitious school because I don't want to comfort you when you fail. And to me, that was my mom telling me that she didn't believe in me. That was my yeah. mom telling me that I wasn't strong enough. And that was just one of many things that I have in, had internalized and become the victim of because of my own mindset. I graduated from law school and I graduated at the top of my class, passed the bar on the first time, built this amazing career. And I still never felt like she supported me. And then I went through NLP and I learned that statements are never about me and always about her. And what happens is she grew up in a different generation where 
going out and doing something like going to law school and moving across the country on your own. She couldn't see herself as being capable of doing those things. So these statements that she was making towards me weren't coming from a place of hatred or anger or lack of support. They were coming from a place of her not knowing how to support me because my actions were something she couldn't relate to. So to me, that's an example of it coming from a place of love and feel like it's being an attack. The dog park story, there's just, there's a guy that comes to the dog park that um, he can be the nicest guy on the planet or a switch can flip and he can be the biggest jerk on the planet and say some really hurtful things. And I have really had to use that same knowledge of the things that he says are not about me. They're about him and being willing to remove myself from a situation and know that that's not retreating or weakness, being willing to step away when I start to see tempers flare and know that protecting myself and setting my boundaries and choosing who I'm going to surround myself with is a strength. It's not a retreat. Wow. That's very, very interesting to hear that story and uh, heart wrenching really too, that you were struggling with that and then, but then you worked through it. Mm -hmm. So, so that's really awesome. If you were to write a book within the next month, what would the message be for your audience? What do you want to share with the world? If you were to write a book? Funny you should ask, cause I am. Um, oh. It is in the middle of being written right now, and it is called Confessions of a Serial Accomplisher, The Role Intention Plays in Your Long-Term Success and Fulfillment. Ah. Wow. When are so, you planning on uh, making this available the question, for the world? Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. If you would have asked me last year, I would have said December of last year. Um, clearly, it has taken longer to put my thoughts on paper than I thought it would. Um, yeah. So my expectation is to have it in editing um, towards the end of the year and released towards the beginning of 2023. Oh, so tell me more about the main messages you yeah. want to get out to your readers. So the main messages are just that willingness to slow down. The willingness to be honest with yourself about where you're starting so that you can be honest about where you want to go. The ability to push aside, and this could be the hardest one, the ability to push aside the opinions of the people that you love the most, to live the life that you're meant to live, to know that you know, I grew up in a very small town, a very religious town. And um, with that mentality comes this belief that everything needs, everybody needs to be included in everything and that everybody needs to be invited to everything. And I've had to learn that not everybody deserves to be invited in my life. And that doesn't mean that I'm cutting them out of it. It means that I'm living my life and I'm making forward actions and that they are welcome to come along when they're ready. But it is in no way my job to hold myself back, to wait until they're ready, just to make sure that they're included. That was one of the hardest things for me to learn. And the unfortunate reality is sometimes those people are the ones closest to you. Yes, that is so true. Amber, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first I'm one ready. is, who is one person that has been a really powerful mindfulness influence in your life? 
my dad, but it wasn't until after he was gone. Oh, wow. I did a, I was at a songwriting convention and I listened to a songwriter tell a story about a song that he was writing. And he said, this comes from, somebody asked me one day, if I could go back in time and talk to anybody, who would I talk to? And my answer was, I would go back and listen to all the things my dad said when I wasn't listening. And that spoke to my soul. And I feel like I have a deeper relationship with my dad now that he's gone than I ever had when he was here because I was too young and incapable of it. Wow. Let's talk about your emotions. How has mindfulness helped you connect and deal with your emotions differently? Growing up, I was always the kid that was too emotional. I was the kid that wanted to hug family four or five, six times before I left. I was the kid that said goodbye a bunch. I was the crier. I'm still the crier. I feel like my my friends just carry around tissues with them because they know I'm coming. Um, and I've mindfulness has helped me realize that that's not a weakness. Mindfulness has helped me realize that it's okay to feel those emotions and to express them. And that um, too emotional isn't really a thing, but too closed off is. Definitely is. Yeah. My next question is about breathing. Do you have some thoughts about breathing? Maybe you have some techniques or some uh, certain strategies you use with breathing as how breathing is related to mindfulness? Yes, I do believe that breathing is related to mindfulness. I also believe that when you are in the middle of the time that you need it the most, if one person looks at you and says, just breathe, you want to punch them in the face. <laughs> so um, for me, when I um, have people who are struggling with um, anything where they need to slow their mind down, um, while I do tell them to breathe, I tell them to count first because that's what made a difference for me. And for me, it was um, math problems. I would do math problems in my head until I forgot what I needed to breathe about. And then I would do breathing exercises because I feel like when it when you're completely overtaken with emotion, whether that be anxiety or panic or fear, whatever it is, that when you breathe, sometimes you can't turn your mind off enough to make the breathing worth it. But multitasking is a myth. We can't do it. So if you force your brain to focus on math problems, your brain can't focus on whatever it's afraid of. And then as soon as you forget what it is that you were doing math problems for, then you can breathe to recenter yourself. Very good. I want to ask you about a book. I'm I, looking forward to your book being published, <laughs> but have you got a book that you would recommend that's related to mindfulness? I have a few and they're not going to be as apparent as you would think. Um, my absolute favorite book related to intention, which to me is mindfulness, is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a f by oh, yeah, um, I like that book. by Manson, um, Mark, Mark Manson. Um, there's another one, though, and it is I Hope I Screw This Up by Kyle Cease. Oh. Kyle Cease, if you are an 80s and 90s kid like myself, was the party guy in 10 Things I Hate About You. And after becoming an actor and having it not fulfill his dreams, he became a motivational speaker. And he wrote a book called I Hope I Screw This Up. And it's all about connecting with your inner self in a way that makes you 
um, willing to do things that you might fail at. And so those two books combined, um, the first one by Mark Manson is a little bit more aggressive and in your face. Um, the second one, I hope I screw this up is more comedic and relaxing and very much, um, more spiritually based. So I think both of them serve their purpose for different personalities. Well, I'm looking forward to reading. I hope I screw this up because I think I don't laugh enough. I think <laughs> none of us laugh enough. I would highly encourage anybody who's going to listen to that to listen to the audiobook. Um, I'm not normally a fan of recommending audiobooks over the written book. However, Kyle um, narrates it himself and he's a comedian by trade and it just adds to the comedic nature. And there are times where he expands on what's in the book. So I would highly suggest the audio book oh i'm gonna download it i can't wait this it's good like a lot. i can't yeah. wait to hear your your thoughts on it i love it yeah i i'm really looking forward to it and we're going on a road trip so this oh will that's be a perfect awesome time. yeah yeah this will be a perfect time okay my next question is about an app do you have any apps that you recommend of any I description yeah, I don't necessarily think there's an app. I would say I live my life by my calendar. So if you are somebody who does not have a calendar, like I used to be six, seven years ago, and you're wondering why your life is completely disorganized, I can tell you that's the number one reason. Um, however, Spotify has some really good mindfulness and meditation tracks on it. Um, a friend of mine hosts a podcast called Meditation Minis, where she does um, five to 10 minute meditation. And that's on Spotify. And that has been helpful to me when I've tried to calm myself down and meditate a little bit. Yeah, Meditation Minis is a great, great podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I met her at a conference. And uh, I was just amazed at how she was able to reach so many people through her little mini meditations. Yeah. Yeah. Especially people like me that don't meditate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's really been exciting to talk to you and especially after listening to you, having your voice in my ears, you know, on your podcast and, and just hearing what a vibrant person you are and, and how interesting you are. But uh, I just want to ask you to, uh, Give us a word of advice. If someone were listening today who are feel, was feeling like they just want to get their life on track more and maybe have a little more mindfulness in their life, what words of advice would you have for that person? So for me, the answer always comes from being willing to have the honest conversations with yourself. And the hardest conversation to have is sometimes where am I at right now? So I have a free resource for your listeners to be able to answer that question. Um, and they can go to successdevelopmentsolutions.com slash mindfulness mode, and they can download a life wheel. And the life wheel is going to ask them where they are on a scale of one to 10 in different areas of their life. Um, there's some instructions on how to complete it and some tips on how to do it honest with yourself. Um, and to me, that's the starting point. I see too many people that are unhappy with their life and they don't know what they're unhappy with. So they start making changes like they're throwing darts at a dartboard with a blindfold on. And then they blow up areas of their life that were completely fine. So for me, I think this life wheel is the perfect solution to that. So that would be my suggestion is be willing to have the hard, honest conversation about where you're at, because then you can have the exciting conversation about how you're going to get to where you want to go. 
Mindful Tribe, don't forget to do this. Really make a point of doing this. Go to successdevelopmentsolutions.com slash mindfulness mode, and then go from there. Do what Amber suggests, because you know what? She's really, she's really gone through a lot of challenges in order to grow and to learn, and she's got a lot to share. So Amber, thanks so much for being on mindfulness mode today. Thank you for having me. It has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the episode today. Great to have you with us. Do you know what? You can really improve your writing skills by using this uh, product that I use. It's called Grammarly. Maybe you've heard of it, but it really helps you do some great writing, and it's a simple tool that can really help a lot. You can compose bold, clear, mistake-free writing using Grammarly, and you can get your sentence structure up to par and just your spelling and all of these things can be improved just by using Grammarly. So you can get started with Grammarly for free and you get suggestions as to how to write in desktop applications or different sites across the web as you move between apps, social media, documents, messages, even emails. So If you use my affiliate link, you will be able to get going right away and it will benefit me as well. That's what affiliate links do. So here's the link, mindfulnessmode.com slash Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y. So check that out. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.